Hi, welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. On this podcast, we talk about stress, trauma, plain old bad days, and how those events impact the way in which we walk through the world. Everyone needs to be heard, and I am here to listen. Together, we will find realistic, healthy ways to turn our setback into a comeback. If you're a person who has ever endured difficult times, which have left you feeling disconnected from your authentic self, a little bruised, or even a little broken, this podcast is for you. Hi, this is Victoria English Martin. Thank you for visiting with me during this episode of After the Crisis with Victoria. Today is very exciting and we're in for some thought-provoking conversation. My friend, Chris Mack, is here. She is the founder and president of KMAC Solutions, a consulting firm specializing in emotional intelligence, leadership development in the workplace. As a consultant, speaker, and coach, she has worked with Fortune 500 and mid-sized companies, nonprofits, and universities. She believes in the power of women supporting women. Chris lives in Tampa with her family. She loves traveling and practicing yoga in her spare time. Chris and I went to college together and happily reconnected uh, over the past few years thanks to social media. And if you love my podcast, you have Chris to thank because she was the one who thought it would be a great idea for me to do a podcast. <laughs> so um, I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, you'll be one of my first guests. And she graciously agreed. Um, Chris, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I am excited to be here and to help you along this journey because I know you have so much to share that people can benefit from. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as we've talked about, we're both just kind of doing what we feel led to do and um, hopefully bringing some some goodness to the world. I know you certainly are. Chris and I had a conversation when we were talking about doing this interview, and we decided the topic would be, is your crisis casserole worthy? Uh, Chris, you want to talk a little bit about that story, what, what sparked our conversation and our decision to tackle this this topic? Yeah. So, um, as you know, I have a group on Facebook that's, that goes along with the book that I wrote earlier this year. It's hashtag no approval needed book. And so I always look for interesting topics of discussion. Things are going to be thought provoking and really sort of off the cuff. And I, I came across an article and I, of course, I don't have the author's name. It's Jill something. Maybe you have it, Victoria. Um, I do. Jill English. Oh, cool. There we go. So Jill English. I came across an article written by Jill English, um, and I believe the title of it was The Casserole Rules. Yes. And I thought it was really, really interesting because it highlights the difference between sort of these unwritten rules of when we'll reach out to somebody to offer a casserole or a It doesn't even have to be a casserole. It could be a phone call, a card, a text, letting somebody know that we're thinking of them. And it's um, usually in a time of crisis, but it's it's the type of crisis that um, society deems as acceptable, like the death of a loved one or um, an illness like breast cancer or something like Mm -hmm. that. And so um, Jill was highlighting in this article that when she was going through the death of her marriage, so a divorce, nobody was there. Mm -hmm. And yet she was still grieving just like somebody would with the death of a loved one or going through a traumatic illness or injury or something like that. 
And yet the casserole rolls were different. And yes. so, so this was the whole point of the article. And I just thought it was really interesting because this could be applied to, you know, somebody going through an addiction, a job loss, a divorce, um, going to rehab, lots of different things. Right. And mm-hmm. as a, um, a person who's a part of a community, would we think to reach out and bring a casserole, a phone call, a, a card, what have you? Yes, exactly. And Jill, in her article, goes on to talk about another woman in their community who suddenly became a widow. Her husband passed away suddenly and also left her with with children to raise, bills to pay. And unlike Jill's experience, uh, this woman had freezers full of casseroles. She had her yard work was done. Her mail was picked up. Her errands were run. And she had so many casseroles, in fact, that she passed one on to Jill. Uh, Jill, uh, down the road, late a few years later, I believe it was, experienced breast cancer and mm-hmm. was the recipient of multiple casseroles, too many to eat. So uh, I love I love this topic because as a breast cancer survivor, I was thankfully the recipient of so much grace, but I've had my private struggles, which certainly were not put on Facebook, which nobody wore t-shirts for things like that. And that's where the topic of crisis and, and is your crisis worth posting about on social media or is it something that that you attach to shame? You know, is Mm -hmm. it, does it push us into the shame cycle? Say, like you said about addiction and this woman, her husband left them. So divorce, things like that, that seem a little, a little less savory. Even like a mental health breakdown, a job loss, that all those things we can attach shame to, or we can perceive and expect and be anxious about the shame that we think we'll receive um, from others. And so it can be a really scary thing. And, and, you know, whether we communicate that or not, I do think the casserole rules are different. And I don't even necessarily think it's on people's radar screen. That's the interesting thing. You know, I think people have good intentions, but I don't think they're really thinking about opportunities to reach out and support somebody in that way when it's not a traditional crisis that Mm -hmm. society supports and looks at, you know, as far as this is an acceptable time to reach out. Right. Right. I know one of your, one of your um, areas of expertise is emotional intelligence. So I'm wondering what you think about that. Um, You know, in this, in this day and age, we are moving toward a more accepting society where it is okay to, um, talk about things that years ago were, were definitely just swept under the rug. And how, how do you see things like that changing? You talk about people having good intentions, you know, how do you think that could change that, that people could feel comfortable expressing their compassion for people going, you know, people going through these crises that are, that are, uh, you know, a little uh, that that have shame attached to them because I, I do feel like in today's society, thankfully, there isn't this stigma attached to mental health and um, addiction and things like that. So I feel like people are at least coming forward and getting some help and saying, "I'm not okay." What do you think about in in terms of emotional intelligence and how people may 
be able to step up and express themselves in times of crisis for others. Yes. The first thing I would say is I think we're, as you mentioned, our society is much better about some of these things. I don't think we're all the way there yet. I still think that a lot of people suffer in silence because Mm -hmm. they are trying to manage shame and um, trying to find hope by themselves, afraid to reach out for that support. Um, And also just navigating, you know, how people are going to perceive them, family, friends, et cetera. Um, But when we're talking about specifically emotional intelligence, I think there's two things to consider here. The first one is empathy. Mm-hmm. So that's the skill that allows us to sit in somebody else's shoes to really understand from their perspective you know, what it is to be experiencing whatever they're experiencing. And that's always hard to do, especially if it isn't anything we've ever gone through. Mm-hmm. You do that. The key to that is that you're separating your judgment. That is not a part of empathy. So you got to leave that at the door. And it's just about being accepting and trying to seek to understand the other person and what they're going through. And so a a great way to do that is just to say, hey, just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be any more than that. I'm here for you. It doesn't have to be that you're asking questions. Um, It can just start with something as simple as that. And then, you know, at least you're sort of opening that door, extending that hand so that if the other person wants to take it, um, you, they know that you've at least made the effort and the, they don't feel so alone. I think the other thing that we have to think about here is the emotional intelligence skill of assertiveness. So I do think it's incumbent upon us as individuals to find a way to say, here's what would help me. Here's what I need. Yeah. You know, like right now I don't need a casserole, but what I could really use is somebody watching my kids for two hours so that I can just have some sanity time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I, I will never forget when, when my father died, I had you know, people, again, people mean, well, they have good intentions, but the follow through isn't always there. And I remember it's actually a close friend. I won't say who it was, but she was like, anything you need. And I'm like, okay, well, what I need is for you to take my kids for like the day or half day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks anyway, you know, but I mean, if you're going to offer and you're going to say anything you need, then you need to be prepared for people to take you up on it. You know, I mean, that's what I need. Like, I don't need a dinner. Um, I don't want to talk on the phone for hours right now. Like, I appreciate, I, I know that the love is there and I appreciate, you know, the calls and all that. What I really need is for somebody to, distract my kids so that they don't see mommy crying for all of these hours. Yes. And, you know, of course it's, we want to be open with our emotions, but we also don't want to traumatize of our course. kids. Or overwhelm them or make them feel responsible yeah. for you being okay. Yep. So what does yep. that, what does that say about the person? Because, you know, I, I, I love the 90, 10 rule, you know, that most mm-hmm. of our interactions with people, it's 90% about them. 10% about, about me. And, and that helps me manage people much, much more easily and not take things so personally. But I'm curious about, you know, what that says about a person. I'm also wondering, do you think that since you are the emotional intelligence pro, I've wondered this often, do you think that when people shy away 
from those of us going through the, quote, shameful crises. Again, divorce, um, you know, infidelity, drug addiction, mental health problems, job loss. Do you think they, in a way, feel like it's that you're somehow contagious, that somehow your, your bad luck or bad situation is somehow going to going to they're going to catch it does that make any sense yeah i mean i think if you think about it from like an energy standpoint mm-hmm. okay, we're all we're all energy at the end of the day right? right and we put out a certain type of energy out into the universe and so i think from that standpoint whether people are spiritual or not i think they are sensing that there's definitely some negative energy going on um even if you're actively trying to go through the process of healing mm-hmm. Care and all that. There's you got to sit through and process those emotions, mm-hmm. and process that grief, and so I think that from that standpoint, it makes people uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and they don't know how to deal with their own discomfort. So again, it's less about you, more about them. I mean, I think this is the same kind of thing as you know when when people are in the hospital and they're sick, or somebody dies, and you've got people who go, "Oh, I'm not good, at, you know, seeing people sick," or "I'm not good at going to funerals." Okay, well, guess what? None of us are. Right. But <laughs> It's time to step up and ju- you don't have to say anything. That's the thing. Your presence speaks for itself and you don't even have to stay a long time. Mm-hmm. Your presence speaks for itself. And so um, I think that, you know, going back to that 90, 10 rule, people get so caught up in their own being that they're not really able to keep things in perspective. And some, you know, I, I believe at heart people have good intentions, but they're not always thoughtful. about what those intentions are. So if you say to somebody, I am here for you, anything you need, then you need to be thoughtful about that of what that could entail. Mm -hmm. To be specific, like, hey, I've got a lot going on, but here's what I could offer to do. Yes. Yes. (laughs) No. And I always appreciated when, when I was going through my breast cancer treatment, I appreciated people who were, who were very honest, who said, look, I can't cook worth a whip, but (laughs) I have a great yard guy who can come and trim the bushes out front, Um, you know, and others who love children and said, let me take Aubrey for the day. Um, But, you know, they, they, they didn't feel comfortable sitting with me and that was okay too. And then there were others that said, this is just too hard for me. And I had to process that and and eventually learn not to take it personally because I knew it wasn't a reflection of how they felt about me. It brought up their own mortality, their own. They were they were they were thinking, oh, God, what if I were in that position instead of fear? Yes. Instead of being able to say, let me put my own feelings aside and minister to my friend. Yeah, they weren't. The fear was greater than their ability to be empathic. And it's not because they don't have good intentions. Mm-hmm. It takes some inner work and not everybody is as evolved, you know I mean? And I, when I say that, I mean that I am by no means a perfect person. And there are many days that I fail miserably at being emotionally intelligent <laughs> to my own credit made leaps and bounds. I mean, things that, you know, I would have handled well in my teens, 20s, even 30s, maybe even early 40s, um, having gone through traumatic life-changing event of losing my father really helped me grow Mm. emotionally and, you know, just maturity with age and different life experiences. But um, 
but I am by no means just because it's something that I specialize in for work. Right. Do I, you know, think that I am perfect and, and say that I don't struggle with things at times? Of course. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Emotional intelligence is something that, that isn't commonly talked about, but I, I've always found it to be so fascinating. And what, what if someone wanted to work on their emotional intelligence, what, what would be your suggestion of just a few simple things that, that we could incorporate into our daily lives to bring awareness around it and kind of understand, mm-hmm. you know, our baseline of emotional intelligence, just like we do with standardized testing in schools or something yep. like that, or an IQ test? Yeah. So the first would be just to gain a fundamental level of understanding of what emotional intelligence is. It's a set of emotional and social skills that help you understand yourself better, express yourself better, um, build mutually beneficial relationships, make good decisions, Mm -hmm. and stress. So sometimes people think it's only the relationship part um, of skills, and that's not. I mean, that's just one component of it. What I recommend as a very fundamental way just to gain an understanding is the book by Travis Bradbury, which is Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I like it because it's basic. An arsenal of books that are a lot more robust, but this is a great way to get started. And it has a mini assessment in there that you can do a self-rater. So I like that for a good starting place. But as far as working on your emotional intelligence, because there's one thing to be conceptually you know, have an understanding mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another put it in practice. So what it comes down to is really thinking through what emotions are you experiencing and being tuned into those in the moment. And that's hard because sometimes we experience multiple emotions at the same time, you know, especially if it's an intense event. And so really queuing in to, well, how's my body reacting to those emotions? Mm-hmm. So to do this with my kids and, you know, I would tell them like, I want you to think about from the, the crown of your head all the way down to your toes. How is your body reacting when you're angry? So, you know, start from the crown of your head. Are you, are you narrowing your eyes? Are you having tension in your jaw? Um, are you pursing your lips? Are you clenching, clenching your teeth? Are you clenching your fists? Are you sweating? Is your heartbeat racing? So, right. So we can start to tune in to those things and then the more comfortable we get with like, oh, this is how my body's reacting, then that starts to cue us into what the emotion is. And if we can label it, it helps us to understand it and also take some of the power away. So that's something everyone can start doing at any point. Um, The other thing is, if you have an outcome that you are not happy with, the best thing to do is to take a few steps back, self-reflect and think about, all right, what was the trigger? So what happened? What emotion did I experience? What was my behavior or response? And what was the outcome or consequence? Mm. If you didn't like that outcome or consequence, if I were to tell you, you had the redo button that you could press, what would you do differently? And you can literally do that for any event, any situation in your life. Um, And so when you can start to figure out, all right, here are the triggers. There's patterns in this because every time something like this happens, this is how I react and I don't like the outcome. Uh, I'm actually regretting what I said or did. Yeah. Then you can start to choose a more appropriate response instead of just reacting. Oh, I like that. So I would imagine part of that would require um, 
maybe hitting the pause button at times before we Absolutely. respond yep. to that email for, or for 30 seconds. Oh, that can seem uh, like forever. <laughs> to allow the thinking brain and the frontal lobe mm-hmm. to catch up with the part of the brain that processes emotions in the limbic system. There's a gap there. We experience emotions before we experience rational thoughts. So pausing, as you mentioned, is great. If it's an email, like it's funny because we can all get triggered by email, mm-hmm. right? Our brain is working with a limited amount of information. And when that happens, it's scanning for threats and it will fill in the blanks and it's usually incorrect. So we're going to assume tone and intent where maybe there isn't any, right? So I would also suggest finding somebody who can be an honest mirror for you. And when I say that, I mean somebody who can give that honest feedback. They have your best interests in mind, but they're not going to tell you what you want to hear they're actually going to be unbiased and say like, Hey, Victoria, you know what? I recognize there's too much emotion in your response. Why don't you sleep on that for 24 or 48 hours? Yes. Come back to it and edit. And then deep breathing. I mean, if we're in the moment and we're feeling triggered, practicing deep breathing calms our nervous system down, but also buys us time to allow the frontal lobe to catch I up. I love that. I love that. Wouldn't it be nice if um, social media posts had a little, um, you know, a little pause button that said, are you sure you want to post this? <laughs> How many times do you see people get in online rights? Oh, all the time. It's just incredible. Yes. Right. All the time. And it's so silly. I just refuse. I just, I will like, disassociate, yes. unfollow block, but it's not going to do that. I I don't enjoy that. It's not something I'm involved in, but I, I have people that try. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. They're, they're everywhere. Well, I know in my personal life, um, you know, if I, I, I'm, I'm working on it, but oh my goodness, if I get into the back and forth with one of my kids, my big kids or my husband, and you know, as soon as, as soon as I push send on the text, I can see the bubbles there's, they've got something to say back and, you know, and, and it's just like the bubble wars begin and I'm trying to go, you know, I'm going to put the phone down for a few minutes. I'm going to take a, take, right. go outside, get some fresh air and I'll revisit this. <laughs> yes. Another great, yeah. Walk, take a walk. Yes. Reconnect with nature, meditate, do some yoga, right? Um, visualize. Sometimes if I know that I'm going to be around people that are toxic, mm-hmm. I will envision that I'm in a bubble suit and there's nothing that they say that can penetrate. It just will bounce. I like that. I like that. The bubble suit. Find what works for you. I wonder if we can get those on Amazon for the holiday family parties. (laughs) I'm sure we could put like some kind of cool hashtag on them too. There you go. There you go. So speaking of hashtags, um, I was very honored. Chris asked me to be one of the early readers of her book. Uh, I got to take a look at it before it went to print and just absolutely loved it. It um, has done extremely well. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? I will. So the title of it is hashtag no approval needed. And I spent... Um, the latter half of 2018 interviewing women from every continent. And I was really interested in women in their forties because I'm in my forties and I wanted to see if, if, you know, are we more alike than we are different? Are we having a similar journey? And I really didn't care 
what they did as far as a career, if they were married or not, or straight or gay or had kids or didn't mm-hmm. have kids or rich. None of that mattered to me. I just was interested in women in their forties. And so I was lucky enough to find women from all over the world. Um, and I just interviewed them about life topics. So, you know, a career, their careers, um, what they think about other women, about friendships, about their relationships, about sex, about their bodies, about aging, um, all kinds of things. And, and so it was great discussions and lots of stories and some were funny and some were sad and some were inspirational, um, a lot of wisdom shared. So it was, it was the honor of a lifetime. I can only imagine. Yeah, that book had me laughing, crying. I love that you chose to interview women from all seven continents. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And again, I I say this a lot, but what I found is we are more alike than we are different, regardless of what what we've been through in life, uh, where we are in life, what our family looks Mm -hmm. like, what our work looks like. There's so many similarities. Yes. And that's such a beautiful thing because so often in social media or regular media, um, we tend to focus on on what makes us different and what divides us. And so I think that was one of the cool things that really came out of this book was that fundamentally we're human. We have more in common than, uh, than we differ. And there was this um, real sense of connection and sisterhood that readers felt with each mm-hmm. other. And I think that was, yeah, I agree with that. I, I think, um, I, I think the forties, it just reinforced how, how powerful and transformational our forties are, are meant to be for each of us. I think it's so important for, for women in this generation, our, our age group to, to find our truth and find our, mm-hmm our anchor of who we really are. And um, I love that uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, during this journey, how, how you went back to the anchor of having the, the good friendships you'd had with women as a, as a young woman. And then, you know, like all of us, we get busy with our, with our career and family and children and everything and how this book brought you back Mm -hmm. into that, that, Yes. close knit feeling and, and community of, of sisterhood. Yeah, there, you know, and there's actually research that supports this in our twenties and thirties, we're raising families. We're focused on career advancement. And so it's not that we intend to allow these relationships to get put on the back burner, but unintentionally we put them on simmer mm-hmm. and we're not checking on them. We're not investing in them. And so we grow apart and, that's really sad. And so when, when my father died, um, that was a big wake up call for me because there were not a lot of my friends there. Mm-hmm. And I realized I don't hold, um, any negative feelings about that. It was more of like a reckoning with myself. Right. Of, you know what? I haven't been there for them and I want that to change. Mm-hmm. And I made a decision that day that at the celebration of life, that that was going to change. And so, um, the book was part of that process of reconnecting with old friends and developing new women friendships. And um, it's really been incredible. And it's filled me in a way that, you know, our, my children or my sister, parents or spouse cannot mm-hmm. do. It's just it's different. Um, not that those relationships aren't special, but right. they are, but women need women friendships. 
And um, so I'm just a lot happier since I have. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I I I find um, my female friendships at this age. It, there's there's not a lot of um, expectation attached. It's just a quiet understanding that we that's a beautiful mm-hmm, way to put it. That we we have got each other's backs through thick or thin, and there's just quiet love and support. And when we need it, uh, like I did during my year of treatment, yeah. your girls will rally around you and yeah. and shower you with with love and prayer and support, humor, mm-hmm. tears, all of it comes in that, in that sisterhood. So um, how lucky are we that we have that and that we get to go into our, into our later generations with that. People have said, you know, well, I'm one of those who've let those relationships go and I miss them. Like, how can I, how can I change that? Put yourself mm-hmm. out there. Don't wait for people to reach out to you. You have to take the first yes. step. And and like you said before, no expectations. So not everyone is going to be where you are and want to mm-hmm. reconnect. And that's okay. Right. Um, reconnect with those that are, are wanting to and then develop new friendships. So for me, I joined different women's mm-hmm. groups. Um, I've been active on LinkedIn and developed a global community of women friendships. So find what works for you. But take some accountability with that and be willing to put yourself mm-hmm. out there. I think that is great advice. Well, I think that as part of our closing, we should we should agree to post our favorite casserole dish on the website when this is published. <laughs> Just as a joke. Um, and I'm going to have all of your uh, all of your connections. Chris has a, a great social media presence. You can follow her on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Please, if you haven't already, you can pick up a copy or download her book, hashtag no approval needed. And uh, it's a great, I think it's a great uh, book club book because there's so much to talk about. I mean, when I was reading it, just every single page brought up questions and discussions. And uh, Chris also does provide some discussion topics in there. So um, great, great thing to talk about during the holidays when you're avoiding politics and religion Uh, (laughs) and uh, as the weather gets cold and we're inside, good, good thing to have for your book clubs. So uh, anything else that you'd like to share, Chris? I do. I, I've been collecting pictures from readers from all over the world and they're taking selfies with the book. And so in my mind, I have been working on this project. It was just happening in my mind. (laughs) Recently, I finally hired a freelancer to do uh-huh. it for me because it wasn't getting done up here. <laughs> so I'm almost done with it, and we created a video. Um, so I'll I should have that like by next oh, week, which I'm good. really excited. All of these women of all different ages, not just women in their 40s, holding the book and embracing each other, and it's just a happy video that um, I just love it. It it brings me a lot of emotion and. Um, inspiration. And so, yeah, that's great. Well, congratulations on that accomplishment. That is, I think, a dream of so many of ours. And, uh, and you did it. <laughs> I did it. You're next. Oh, <laughs> gosh, I don't know. We'll see. You, you're, you're trouble. <laughs> but you know, like the t-shirt says, that's a terrible idea. What time? <laughs> exactly. Spoken like a true Delta Gamma. <laughs> Okay. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to 
following your adventures. And thank you again for the encouragement, the little push I needed to take this journey. And uh, I'm always grateful for your friendship. Love you too. Bye. Thanks for listening to After the Crisis with Victoria. For more about me, how I can serve your needs, and links to our special guests, please subscribe to this podcast and visit victoriaenglishmartin.com. Also, come on over to our free Facebook group and join our community, After the Crisis with Victoria. I'm offering access to fun, healthy, and thought-provoking content. Additionally, you'll find exclusive programs, workshops, and one-on-one coaching. Until next time, count your blessings, not your burdens. And remember, there is life after the crisis.